0: Wednesday edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones, with you. Morning after another victory for the Toronto Raptors as Toronto takes care of business on the back-to-back Monday, Tuesday. The home-and-home against the Brooklyn Nets. They blow it. The Nets on Monday, then come back home and in front of fans for the first time in almost three months. The Raptors get the job done, albeit in a squeaker. But they don't ask how. Just uh, or sorry, they don't ask how many. Just how. How do you do it? How many do you have? What did it take? At the end of the day, when the dust settles, I think I just butchered that line. But you know what I'm talking about, folks. The Raptors got it done as they get the one-point victory. Granted, it was more like a four-point victory because it was a James Johnson heave at the buzzer that didn't matter on the scoreboard in terms of the final outcome. But, yes, it looked uh, a little bit closer than perhaps it was as the Raptors took care of business, Jonesy, in the final couple of moments of the game where Pascal Siakam fouled out, with 2:40 to go, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, when he fouled up with 2:40 to go, the Raptors had a five-point lead. Brooklyn overcame that five-point deficit to tie it, and then it was back and forth, back and forth over the final 90 seconds, the final 60, 30 seconds even. And Gary Trent, with 12 points through three quarters, had 12 points in the fourth quarter alone, with the bulk of that coming in the final couple of minutes of the game when Siakam went down, and Trent continued to go to the free throw line, made the most of his free throws and helped seal the deal for Toronto with now a three-game bulge over the Nets in that 7-8 battle. And the Raptors get that much closer to the Boston Celtics and a chance maybe to jump into the top six.
1: Well, you keep uh, knocking off winsy. I mean, that's the whole issue. Um, you know, you think about last night. Uh, did anybody expect another? What did they win? Did 36? Did anybody expect another 36-point win last night? Like, I hope you didn't, if you're a Raptor fan, because it's never that easy, especially in back-to-back games with the same team, where you have handed them their hats. Uh, they're prideful players too. I, you know, I, I thought Jock Vaughn did a really good job um, in Brooklyn. Once the Nets got down, he started to change things up. Like, okay, let's let's. Uh, let's go to Lamarcus Aldridge let's try you know cam Thomas Kessler Edwards let's play zone and he was no doubt thinking about the next night okay this one's gone but let's find out what works and they came out Eric and hands up Harry man they played that zone for a whole lot of the game and you know they even junked it up they played they went into a zone um and and uh started to match up out of it. And, you know, on particular cuts, when those cuts were made um, to try and hurt the zone, a man in that zone would go with the Raptor player, and all of a sudden the zone was off. So now the Raptors have to change their attack. Instead of attacking a zone, they're attacking a man-to-man. So I I give Jock Vaughn some credit, and the Nets battled. And if you're the Raptors, you come out with the win, um, you take it, and and you run forward. I, I was impressed again. With the play of Malachi Flynn, I really was 13, 13 assists, one turnover in the last two games, starting for Fred. Uh, Shot the ball well, ran the team well. You know, a lot of people, you know, kind of discarding him. I I just, I'm not just, I'm just not that quick to do that. I mean, I know it takes time. It, it, It takes time to learn, and. Does he not look very confident out there? E, does he not look like a a five six year vet out there, only in his second year?
0: He does, and and I tell you, only in his second year and having not played a whole bunch either. Exactly. Uh, and 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 I think it's I think it's what we discussed a little bit yesterday, Jonesy, where um, whether it's and listen, folks, be clear. I'm not I'm not saying it's all of you, and I'm not painting y'all with one broad stroke. But I think too many fans, maybe some media as well, but got focused and caught up too much on the soap opera, the drama of what might be happening off the court and what comments might be coming from family members or friends or whatever else and not just dealing with the man himself, the player himself, and what he's saying and what he's doing and how he's acting and how he's performing in practices and ultimately earning his keep. And he wouldn't be a guy I'd want on my team if he wasn't stewing, if he wasn't upset about it. In fact, uh, on the radio broadcast late last night on our post-game show, we had Malachi on. And he commented, he say, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, what am I going to do, sit and stew about it? No, I'm going to work to get better because what's that going to do f- for me if I'm, if I'm you know, angry or, or, or cheesed off on the sidelines? So he's got the right attitude, and I think maybe, again, we're focusing too much on what other people might be saying as opposed to what he's saying and, more importantly, what he's doing and what, how he's acting, and he's being rewarded. And he's certainly performing. I mean, Jonesy, I noted yesterday, and then you even, you know, backed me up further and 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 dropped the hammer on the point even further. I looked at last night's game and the low amount of turnovers for him in 43 minutes, and then you said, "Hold on a second, it's two straight games because he did it on Monday and then did it again last night too."
1: Well, and and in in his play Monday night in Brooklyn, everybody was, you know, was starry-eyed at Scotty Barnes and. What he did, I mean, the, the 10 for 10, uh, there was a stat out there that um, the last rookie to do that was Derrick Rose back in 2009, make 10 shots and a half. Uh, and then there was a uh, a graphic yesterday talking about guys that had 25-5 on 80% plus shooting. And there are four guys in the history of the NBA uh, in, in, a, in a game to do that. John Drew, Charles Barkley... Uh, I forget who the other one was and and Scotty Barnes, so everybody was you know watching Scotty and, and Scotty played great, but Malachi just kind of under the radar doing his thing, running the team, uh, he made his first five shots Monday night in Brooklyn, so this is this is really good this augurs well for the Raptors. the fact that these guys can come in and and step into a role and and here's malachi what have what have people been lamenting the entire year about the raptors oh fred's playing too many minutes pascal's playing too many minutes uh you know you're gonna wear the guys out where's the bench they're not helping well the i mean non uh, you know big plays from i mean last night you're without og you're without fred pascal fouls out you still win a game I know it's the Nets. I know they're in eighth, and they don't have Durant and Irving and Ben Simmons and all. I know, know, but you can only play who's in front of you. And a guy like Malachi is telling Nick Nurse, hey, man, if you need me off the bench, I can put in some work for you. So I I think that's terrific. The night before, the Raptors had, what, 69 points off the bench, a season high. Thaddeus Young has been really good. Uh, He's coming, E, knocking that people like, oh, he can't shoot. Hey, man, he's an NBA player. If you give him an open catch and shoot, that's like being in the gym by yourself. He's knocking those things down. And, uh, you know, just to tell the tales out of school a little bit, he and I, you and I had a chance to meet him at center court yesterday after the game. He came out with some of his family. They were taking pictures. And, you know, he's he's really looking forward to getting to know Toronto.
0: Yeah. He, uh, he was all smiles when talking yeah. about Toronto and, and, and the prospect of, of being in a playoff run here with the Raptors and, and uh, having the fans back and looking forward to hopefully having a playoff game or two or more, uh, 10, 15. That would be great, wouldn't it? That's <laughs> Scotiabank Arena uh, come springtime. Jonesy, I want to I steer a little bit back to Gary Trent okay. for a second, and to Malachi Flynn. Uh, Trent, again, icing the game at the free-throw line for the Raptors, stepping up, no OG, no Fred VanVleet. They're hurt, they're on the sideline. Pascal out in terms of fouling out with 2.40 to go. Gary Trent steps up into the forefront, gets it done. But then after the ball game, one of the things that he said, and I love this quote talking about Malachi Flynn, this, this sounds like something that should be put in a book or on a wall or something, and maybe it's already been said. By somebody, but Gary Trent said regarding Malachi Flynn, he's staying ready, so he doesn't have to get ready.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And he proved it last night. And and what what greater honor or or stamp of approval can you get from Nick Nurse to go back to the point you made ninety seconds or so ago about the minutes for Fred Van Vleet and the minutes for so many starters? Malachi Flynn playing heavy minutes last night, playing a team high forty three minutes in the ball game. So that alone says the coach has the confidence. Not just a team high, but a game yeah. high, 43 yeah. as well. And two dudes that played the most minutes for the Raptors, a rookie and a second-year player. Flynn with 43, Barnes with 41.
1: Well, and, and Eric, to your, po- to your point further about Malachi, um, if you're not ready or not staying ready to be ready, you get exposed when you go out in the court. You you get exposed. You... you, you, you You throw the ball away, you miss easy shots, you make bad decisions. So he's sitting over there on the bench, one, paying attention, and then two, no doubt, no doubt in my mind, getting in there early to practice, um, getting extra shots up, you know, working really hard because there there is no full practice time per se at this point in the year. It's travel, play, rest, at home, play, and he's, he's doing he, he really is doing a terrific job. And the other thing, too, Eric, that struck me is the confidence. He's out there like, yeah, man, I belong here. I know what I'm doing. And, and you know, he was, he's been terrific. Now, that's two nights in a row. Um, over the course of this week with Detroit tomorrow, Orlando Friday, Cleveland Sunday, if he's pressed into accident, action, and Nick Nurse says nobody gets it five out of five nights, can he give you two more nights? can he give you three, four out of five nights? Yeah, that's when you know that you've developed some consistency, but for the first, you know, for the first couple of games here, Malachi's been terrific.
0: Well, let's hear more uh on Malachi Flynn, not necessarily from Malachi Flynn, but here is Pascal Siakam talking about the second-year guard and his performances over the last couple of nights. I'm proud of Malachi, I
2: think like again, he's been going through a lot and um you know, I always tell him like I, I be talking to him. You know, sometimes I text him randomly. I'm probably sure he's like surprised. Like, why? Why is Pascal texting me? Um, but nah, just just like. Because it's the NBA, man, and, and, and it's tough. Um, we all go through through you know tough times, and um, I'm just I'm just happy that he's given an opportunity and he's taking advantage of it. Um, he's been playing so well um, both fans on the floor, um, continuing the game, making tough shots. Um, you know his speed off the off the floor is great, um, and I think he's making good decisions. Um, and 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 we don't need that from him. And and you know like I just want him to keep it going, keep it going. I'm proud of him. Yours
0: was kind of the opposite, right? Thank you. Jonesy, I think I know you, you probably want to jump in on that, but let me play you one more here before you do, because talking about leadership and, and the qualities that Pascal exudes, just even in mentioning the text messages and whatnot that he sends to Malachi, but he was asked for a little bit more on that in terms of texting younger players and trying to share his knowledge.
2: I, th- I think, again, like, without without overcrowding and, and you know, because... Like, I'm one of those guys that don't like. I, not that I don't appreciate, but it's like when a lot of things are going on, and, like, people are just bombarding you with texts, like, it's, you know, it's a little too much. But so I try to pick my spots, like, and, um, and, and trying to help as much as I can, like do whatever little knowledge that I have, that I feel like they can they can benefit from. Like that's what that's what I try to do. And um, and yeah, like I I'll just you know randomly just you know like a little you know it's okay type thing. I think you know there's a lot of like people telling you what to do, but at the same time I just need some some people that's just there to encourage you. Like no matter how bad it is or no matter um, the tough how tough the situation is, and, and, and that's something that I try to do. And and
0: and you know um, yeah, I don't know I'm, I'm getting better. I've got to assume, I I could be wrong on this, I've got to assume that's probably something, Jonesy, that... Pascal had done to him, whether it was DeMar DeRozan, whether it was Kyle Lowry, veterans on this Raptor team when he was a young player. And who better to learn from than a guy like Pascal or Fred, what they've been through, where they started, up and down with the 905, you know, in and out of uh, the lineup, let alone the starting lineup. And then all of a sudden, boom, thrust into a championship run and now thrust into all-star roles, starring roles, starting roles, and leadership roles. And he's showing in a fairly short period of time those leadership qualities right there. We just heard him talking about it.
1: Yeah, no, you're you're right. E. Um, look, I, I know, uh, you know, I know of coaches texting players, you know, like just as Pascal says, randomly late at night because they know they're up. Hey, man, I need you tomorrow. Uh, you know, make sure you get this done. Make sure you get that done. And you know you can look at it a couple of ways. One, as Pascal said, you know why he's thinking, why is he bombarding me, why is he texting me? But the other side of the coin is, hey man, this is a good teammate. This dude cares about me. He wants me to get better so we can get better. And and I think that's the way at times you have to look at it. So um, look, the Raptors, uh, the Raptors, the last couple of games, e things have been things have been good. Things they've done they've done really well. I mean, you figure they've won two without Fred, and what did Pascal have Monday night in Brooklyn? It's not like he tore the cover off it and played, you know, exceptional. He he had a bit of a tough night, but he still led the team in assists. So that's how it is, you know. Sometimes somebody else has to drive, and if and if you're in the passenger seat when they're driving, you can you can sit and tell them what's coming coming down the road because you've been there. So I I like that. I think that shows great camaraderie it, it shows you know caring as a teammate and you're in it for the team you know you're in it for the team and not yourself
0: all right we've mentioned a couple of times and you just noted it again as well the uh fact that pascal siakam fouls out with 240 to go in the ball game one more wanna... from pascal then we'll hear from uh raptors head coach nick nurse uh with pascal discussing the young guys stepping up uh and wasn't just the young guys well hey i guess gary's still young too but the young guys stepping up in siakam's absence um, Gary, um, you know Todd. You know he's, he's, a, he's a vet out there. You know, like, and
2: you know I think they did a great job just handling, handling the game. Um, they, they got some, you know, some good stops, and, and, and also you know Gary made his free throws. Um, just controlled the game, like, and, and just and just ended it, you know, in, in, in a great way. We got the win, um, so I'm, I'm super proud of him and, and, and happy.
0: So let's hear one more on that very topic, and we'll flip right over now to Nick Nurse, head coach of the Raptors. Same thing, talking about the youngsters, the, the, the rest of the crew stepping up with Siakam, fouling out with 240 to go.
3: Well, they did a good job. First of all, they finally dug in on defense. You know, again, they did a good job of executing the switching part of the defense and getting the right guys matched up on the right guys to start it so it enables us to do that without too many mismatches, right? We got a little confused here and there, you know, Gary ends up on Blake Griffin on the block, uh, Malachi ends up on Aldridge at the nail. There was a few little little tricky ones here and there, but they got that figured out. But the best thing they did is they went down there and continued to execute stuff on offense. And like I said it, it's not easy. You don't- you don't, you don't play against zone that much. You know, usually you, when you guys have seen us, we see a zone, and we usually run our two or three or four plays and bang shots and get them out of it, right? And um, you had to keep going, and we had, to, we had to put some wrinkles in. We had to run some of our man sets. We had to keep, and there was a lot of them late, and they did an excellent job of just you know find, figuring those out and executing them in a high-pressure situation.
0: It's a point that you were making earlier yeah. in the show, Jonesy, attacking the zone and, and having to deal with the zone for long stretches, long stretches in the game last night.
1: Well, E, remember last year, uh, no, sorry, two seasons ago, uh, the Raptors playing the Miami Heat and just not able to make shots, and Eric Spolster sat in that zone like uh, like a high school zone. Hands up, Harry, just run back and play your zone. and And I give Brooklyn credit. They were really communicating, especially when Blake Griffin was on the back line. He was, he was like the goalie back there, and you know they were stretching it. They made it, they made it tough for Toronto as they 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 spread the zone and they were picking them up. Uh, there was some space open in the middle, but Toronto didn't. They did sometimes, but they didn't always take advantage of it. Um, it was it was an interesting chess game, interesting cat and mouse to watch the way they attack the zone, because even when they scored, as Nick Nurse says, normally, I mean, people say, why don't they play zone in the NBA? Well, because the guys, shooters are too good, and there's no defined blockout responsibilities, and you're covering an area, not a man. I mean, it's man-to-man in your area, but if they flood your area, and you've got two guys or three guys in the vicinity, or if they get it into the middle at the nail, and there's drives like and kickouts, it's just, it's too hard to play for that long. And as I said, Jacques Vaughn stuck with it. He's like, okay, you got to score, like, keep doing it. We're not going to overreact and get out of the zone and go into man-to-man where you can pick your matchups and switches and, and torch us. So uh, I I thought I thought the Raptors did a good job. It was a very, you know, high-level strategic game. And, and to Nick's point, it was a defense in the fourth quarter that really, uh, you know, really did the job. And... I thought it was interesting that Nick threw a little bit of zone in there himself at times.
0: All right. One other point we haven't gotten to. And it was a fun little uh, subplot to the game last night. And we haven't really discussed the fans being back for the first time in damn near three months. E. Two months. Yep.
1: Can I jump in with something? Go for it. Somebody got me on this, and I said, I wonder if it got Eric, too. Our uh, technical producer, Lance Kennedy, just asked me, Jonesy, did you get fooled on the Malachi Flynn stutter step, the, the, the hezi with the in and out? I said, yeah, I did. I did. Because I was ready to call a pull-up jumper. I don't know what you sounded like, because we were both on at the same time, but it, I, I will fully admit, Mia Copa, it got me. How about, that might be the under-the-rim one of the under-the-rim moves of the century, of the of the season, I mean, for 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 the Raptors, Malachi Flynn.
0: Well, I, 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 I don't want to, Jonesy, I've been, let's be clear. I've been fooled a lot, and I've been wrong a lot. I guess, I don't know, maybe just the, the wires were working for that millisecond, because I actually was able to call it, and I just kind of went nuts with, oh, he just undressed Aldridge. Yeah. It, it was an unbelievable move. Like, I think I might have said left the jock jockstrap you know, like, uh, well, on the I other said side. He comp- I said yeah. laundry.
1: I didn't get as graphic as you. I said the laundry <laughs> on the floor. Hey, we
0: can get a little more graphic on the radio. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, it was an incredible move, no doubt about it. But I was going to say the subplot to last night, beyond that move, you're right, it was one of the best of the season, right up there, top two or three we've seen of the season. Um, Goran Dragic coming back. And the fans last night, it wasn't a sellout. We talked about that a little bit on the show yesterday, whether it would be a sellout or not. Uh, it was about yeah, roughly 900 shy of a sellout at the, uh, at the arena last night. But man, when, when Goran Dragic was introduced, it wasn't anywhere near the Vince Carter treatment or even Chris Bosch or others. But it was certainly loud. They, they, the, the Bronx cheer came down. The booing and the hissing and the cat calls and everything else. For Goran Dragic, when he was first announced, when he first stepped into the game, then when he touched the ball every single time, and he started the game 0 of 2 from the floor, and then went over 2 at the free throw line as well, and the fans were loving it. They were riding him, but then he was part of the turnaround that helped Brooklyn take the lead going into the half. He hit his next three straight after missing those first two and the first two at the free throw line. And a moment just before halftime after hitting that third jumper in a row where he ran back on defense and put the finger up to the lips and just trying to hush the crowd. So he was loving playing every bit the part of the villain in last night's game.
1: Yeah, and there was was one point where um, there was one point where it, you're right. It felt like, I don't know if the fans were getting to him or it was a combination of trying to shut the fans up and he was playing really hard. His timing might've been off. Uh, but you could see that it meant something to him. And I'm not, I'm not sure why I can understand, but I'm not sure why there was all the booing. I think some people just decided to chime in because the other people were booing. I mean, uh, It it is what it is with players around the league. Uh, It is what it is. And, you know, the Raptors at this rate, who knows, they may yet see the Nets in a play-in situation. Um, But it was good last night. It was great to have the fans back. It really, really was. All
0: right, here's Nick Nurse on the booing of Goran Dragic.
1: The only time
3: I really noticed them is is uh I think Gary was shooting maybe one or two free throws and or I think one and Dragic checked in and they were booing so much I was hoping they were going to stop before gary before Gary got the ball and they didn't really want to, but uh anyway, they were lively that's for sure they really have really have fun doing that, don't they huh? <laughs> they really were they were ready they were ready, man, they were ready, and they didn't. Take the foot off the gas the whole game
1: today. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: it, 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 you Wait, know what? I'll, Eve, I'll say Eve, this. We want
1: to say to Nick, Nick, you should have been here for Vince or Chris Bosch. This, oh, yeah. that was oh, somebody, yeah. somebody actually was Michael Bartlett, our COO of Canada Basketball, CEO of Canada Basketball, texted me at halftime and he said, I'm in a little discussion, a little argument with some of my peeps that, that maybe don't know the history the same way. Does the Drogic booing, does that actually register? Is it kind of meh? And I said, honestly, compared to Bosch and, and, and Vince, like, that's meh. I mean, Vince's, the intensity of the booing for Vince, even when he was with Orlando and Memphis, when he came back, two, three teams removed from Toronto was way more than that. I mean, the fans had their fun, but... On a scale of 1 to 10E compared with Vince being 10, what was that, a 2, a 3?
0: Uh, yeah, I'd probably put it at about a 3, about a 3. But, I mean, I don't think most players I, – I could be wrong with this. I don't think most players get that in a lot of other markets. I'm not saying it doesn't exist anywhere, but I don't think you get it most places. And I would hazard to guess – What little I know of Goran Dragic from his very brief time in Toronto, but then just watching from afar from other stops in the league. Like, we're talking about one of the most beloved players in Miami, not just on the roster with teammates, but among the fans. Like, the fans were were in tears when, when Dragic was gone. They were looking forward to having Kyle Lowry... But they wanted Drogic still a part of their team, a part of that community. Think about his other stops around the league, too. You haven't heard a whole lot of bad stuff about Dragic. And I think that's where the sting comes from Raptor fans. It might be kind of that, that, that tired old uh, narrative of the Canadian inferiority complex or Toronto's inferiority complex across the rest of the league. I'm sure part of that maybe plays in a little bit. But, Jonesy, the fact that there is this... Um, Questions still circling as to what actually happened. Now, I'm not saying that we, let alone the fans, even deserve to know. But whether it's from a Raptors organization standpoint, whether it's from Dragic's standpoint, the whole story has not been told. Because if you go back, it starts with a guy being dealt to Toronto in the Lowry sign-and-trade who makes comments overseas that he doesn't want to be a part of this and doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild. Then backtracks on those comments, trying to save face and maybe realize, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said it the way I said it. Oh, it was sort of lost in translation. I didn't really mean it that way. No, 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 I'm going to be there at camp. I, I love Toronto. The fans are great. And then said all the right things in the opening press conference. I want to be here. I'm looking forward to this, working with the young guys. I'm here to work. We see videos with him and Scotty Barnes and Delano Banton walking the streets of Toronto and going out for dinner and what's up, Toronto, and hey, Raptor fans, and all's good in the world. And he's the ultimate pro in camp, and he's playing preseason minutes, and then he starts the season, literally starts the season, remember, folks, in the starting lineup, and wasn't playing great, but was still okay, and, and you know had a couple of blips here and there in the very, very brief time. But then, boom, to the second unit, didn't play a whole lot, and all of a sudden, uh, well, Goran Dragic isn't playing. And DNPCD. And then, well, Goran Dragic is going to be out for a little bit. And it's been a mutual agreement. And now Goran Dragic is back uh, either in Miami or overseas or wherever he is with family. And there might be something personal going on. And it was getting to become ridiculous every night. Like, injury report or or who's sidelined. Like, not with team, not with team. Meanwhile, he's down in Miami watching games and working out and clearly ready to play but doesn't want to be here. So it's like the jilted lover. Or like, why don't you want me? Why don't you like us? And it's... Ironic, and we've talked about this, Jonesy, what the Raptors could use is exactly what he is, a veteran yeah. guard, right? So I yeah. understand why the fans, some of the fans, were, are pissed off and annoyed, and I think having some fun with letting him know about it. I, I, yeah. I get it. I get it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I do. And when you put it and frame it in, in that context, I, I, I can see that. Um it's it's it, i don't know for me it was just great to hear the fans back in the building yeah. you know yeah. the chance of coming down the stretch the chance of defense and and uh you know when scotty hit that that uh the fall away after picking up his dribble and just kind of using his length and uh, the the you know the one foot fall away that went down and he's flexing and the crowd go I, it was i just got tingly i mean that that's We've waited two years for that e I mean almost two years to the day right i mean yeah. it was yeah. march March eighth when when we left utah and and the world changed uh from you know from particularly a sports standpoint i mean the world was already evolving with with the you know the advent of the virus, but from a sports standpoint it's changed i mean you think about all the stuff that we used to do going to the arena early just sticking our phones in front of a a coach an assistant coach or a player as we walk down the tunnel with them or sitting with a, a gm or an assistant gm or a pro scout for another team and you know talking to players standing on the court like that's that's going into the locker rooms that stuff is some of it's gone and it and it may not come back and and it's it's you know it's changed our world so to have the fans in the joint last night and have the place rocking. As you and I said, you said it to Thad Young when we were standing at center court with him after the game. He was doing pictures. <laughs> you said, wait till you see the playoffs. And I said, oh, yeah. You wait till you see this joint come playoff time. And mm-hmm. players respect that, Eric. I'll never forget the first run for in, in 2000 and, and when Sam Mitchell won coach of the year way back to 2007 when that kind of started and I remember uh the second year in the playoffs against Orlando with the new guys, I remember Jose Calderon telling them on the plane, Oh, you wait till you see playoffs. Like they're talking about, oh, the crowd in Toronto's great and they're like, No, 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 <laughs> so you wait you wait till you see playoffs. And, you know, as somebody said last night, sometimes there are more people outside the arena than they yeah. are inside the arena once the game is going on. So um it's great to have the fans back.
0: Well, a man that has tasted those postseason games as a, as, a, as a player certainly, and, and uh, in a lot of different ways, Alvin Williams. He's going to join us next for Alvin Williams Wednesdays, right here on Smith and Jones.
4: Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Raptors again coming off the back-to-back home-at-home wins over the Brooklyn Nets as Toronto now gets set for another back-to-back coming up on Thursday, Friday against the Pistons and Magic. So lots to discuss as we bring into the conversation right now our uh, colleague, friend of the show, Alvin Williams Wednesdays. Al, good to chat with you as always. What's up, guys?
1: How are you? Al, 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 I got a question for you before we get going. You're in a Hall of Fame, right? Uh, no. You're not? Well, I thought you were in a it, Hall it of depends,
5: Fame. It, it depends which one. No, man, <laughs> not, a Hall
1: of fame's a Hall of Fame. It doesn't matter yeah, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in a few local Hall of Fame. That, that's what I'm talking about. You and I, hey, man, when you're in a Hall of Fame, you're in a Hall of Fame. <laughs> and and our boy Eric Smith just got uh we 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 got a party to go to, Al. Eric Smith being inducted into the Burlington Sports Hall of Fame. I got the news last night. Eric didn't know. I was like, "Congratulations, Z." E. He's like, "Yeah, I got some kind of email or something I'm like, yep. We're going to have a party, baby." <laughs> oh, man. Congratulations, <laughs> brother.
0: Uh, uh- I appreciate that jonesy you're 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 embarrassing me here, but
1: yeah' i'm sitting
0: in an empty room with a big smile, and I can feel my face getting red but yeah no I, I had I had no idea I got a call a couple of days ago and and uh yeah there's a there's a ceremony coming up at the uh at the end of May, so uh, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know what you were bringing up now either, Jonesy. But it's uh, it's an honor, and uh, and I definitely appreciate it, and 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 uh, looking forward to the ceremony, and and thank all the all the folks at the uh, at the on the committee and whatnot. So it's it's going to be awesome. It's going to be well, awesome. I just, I really, you know, really when
1: appreciate I when it. I when I say Hall of Fame crew, I mean everybody, right? Like, if you're not in one, you can't be a Hall of Famer on the crew, right? So,
5: <laughs> you, nah, you guys are all that, Hall of Famers that, in that, my that. eyes. Ah, uh, there you go. The question is, how many tickets do we get? I mean, That's I mean, can we have a big party, or is it just you know, just the family, or what what, what? what are we looking like?
0: Well, here's the thing. I was told I'd get two tickets, but I can buy tickets, so I'll I'll buy tickets, and we'll make sure that the, that that I uh, that I get a good crew out, so we can have a good little good little party. So yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that I I uh, I take if, care of the the tickets and get some folks out.
1: If it works um, out, we're, we're going to have a big party, man. There you go. Yeah, for oh. sure. But don't
5: go don't go for that one, E. They give you the two tickets, next thing you know, you're buying a table for fifteen
1: hundred bucks. Don't do that
0: one. <laughs> I'm just gonna say I'm gonna say send the invoice to Alvin Williams. That, that, so. that's,
1: that's like when they give you the fifty dollar gift card to go the shopping in the store and the cheapest thing in the store is two hundred.
5: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh,
0: so Alvin. Brother. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Thanks. And, and, and thanks for bringing it up, Jonesy. So, um, yes, again, thanks to the committee. And it's, it's, it's definitely an honor. And I'm sure I'll talk more about it, you know, closer to the date in, in May. And, in fact, I'll say I actually hope I don't get to attend because as much as I want to be there, I think, the, the, I believe, if not mistaken, they said the ceremony is the 30th or the 31st of May. Well, the Raptors are in the finals then we'll I won't go. be able to go to that, uh, that, 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 that Hall of Fame ceremony. So that's the one little thing I can say is I hope I don't get a chance to go because I would love to be calling games in the finals again and seeing the Raptors there. Al, I don't know if that's a reality for Toronto, uh, but why is it not a goal? So it should absolutely certainly be a goal. No quit in this team. They didn't look great in the first two games after the break. They bounced back with two wins now over Brooklyn. And you look at the standings right now, and with those wins – Against Brooklyn, especially you, you kind of gave up a little bit of ground with that loss to the to the to the Hornets, and then a little bit of ground to the Atlanta Hawks as well. But you bounce back and take care of business against the team that's right on your heels. And now Atlanta and Charlotte are kind of dipping. And 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 since beating you, the Hornets have lost two in a row. The Hawks lost last night. The Raptors now have a five-game lead over the two of them. A three-game lead over the Nets, and only a game and a half back of the Celtics, So they're starting to create some separation, but yet staying tight to the teams ahead of them.
5: Yeah, I think it's going to be tight all the way through, which is exciting. But I believe it, it, this whole year has been so funky in the Eastern Conference, you know, with teams, whether, you know, a lot of the, whatever the reasons are, whether it's health and safety protocols, whether it's injury, whether it's just teams, you know, trades and things like that. But the Raptors have been doing a good job of being consistent, right? I think, you know, they they definitely were playing great basketball. I think their unique style, not caught teams off, off balance, but, you know, a lot of the guys were playing at a very high level. Pascal, Fred, G. Trent, uh, OG was playing well. The young fella at Barnes was playing well. And then here and there, you had people coming off the bench. And Chris Boucher really identifying as that kind of guy coming off the bench. And now they had a little break with the all star break and they, they slowed up a bit. That's one thing that I'm I'm not concerned with, but those five players will have to play their best basketball in order for the Raptors to continue to make that push. And is that realistic to ask, to have that pressure night in and night out? But you still have to look at the Brooklyn Nets. You know, Brooklyn Nets do not have Kyrie, Katie, and Ben Simmons and their whole unit. So once they once they get i'll be really interested to see how things shape up once they get rolling, and all of those guys are back if they get back
1: that's a key point Al. I mean we had one of the uh people one Annette's uh a media member on with us yesterday and i mean they're running out of they're running out of runway here they're they're getting low on on takeoff time because Simmons still hasn't played the vaccine Mandate and and those stipulations are still kind of handcuffing Kyrie Irving. I mean, you know, they just played the Raptors back-to-back, the team that's right in front of them in the standings, and he could not, even though he was healthy, he could not play in either one of those. And then when you get all three of them back, you've got to figure out the chemistry between the three of them and then how it trickles down and it adjusts and defines roles for... The other guys, you know, for for Bruce Brown, for 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 Cam Thomas, for these other guys, what what happens when when you know the best players are back? So uh, it, this is something that's been said for the last couple of years, Al, with Brooklyn. Oh, they look good on paper when they had Harden and all that, but you don't play the game on paper, man. One
5: hundred percent, and you're right. They are running out of time. I think not just for this season, this whole experiment is running out of time and, and I think it's one of those things where it's, it's coaching, it's management, it's players. I think this whole the whole experiment once again is running out of time because there's nothing to solidify with what you're getting out of a product that should be and had the goals of being a championship team so you're 100 percent right. and that's why I always go back to the Raptors really you know focusing on their style, focusing on how they're going to finish finish this season and they do have a a unique style, and their approach has been very good. Now you want the players to get back at, you know, Pascal, get back to how he was playing before. And I'm not even talking about the numbers, I'm talking about the facilitating, the energy, the defense, and all of those guys, you know, getting back at that energy level, getting Fred back out there, making sure everyone's healthy and make for this final push, because we've seen if these guys can all get on the same page, and when they are on the same page playing at that level, they can beat a lot of teams in this NBA from the top to bottom.
0: Speaking with Alvin Williams on Alvin Williams Wednesdays, Al, I want to shift back to a, a portion of the conversation Jones and I were having about 30 minutes ago. And and, and I'll acknowledge right off the bat, I don't think that it's it's – It's exactly the same as what you went through, but I feel that there are at least a couple of similarities. You've talked to us in the past about the frustration of maybe not playing as much as you wanted to early on, especially when you first came to Toronto and it was Lenny Wilkins that when he came in and handed you the keys and, and and you suddenly started playing more of a role and a starter and and your career took off. I don't think that same case is going to happen with Malachi Flynn, not in Toronto. It's not like he's sitting, biding his time waiting and he's going to suddenly take over for Fred Van Vliet. That's not happening. But the similarities in terms of just a role, having a part of a role, you know, a place on this team. He hasn't played a whole lot this year, but he stayed ready and he stayed ready and he kept working. And now with Van Vliet down, Malachi's had two huge games in the starting lineup. He's been a key cog in these last two wins. And maybe if you could just, speak to us about the the preparedness and and again that staying ready and the the mental approach let alone the physical on the floor in practice every day and just waiting for your time and as Gary Trent said you know staying ready so that you don't have to get ready yeah that that's it
5: you named you named it all the physical piece the the mental piece and it is that the nba is so weird like that because you just never know It's days where you're leaving that arena. It's days where you're coming into the arena uncertain, you know, not motivated because things aren't going your way. But you have to muster up some type of, you know, confidence. You have to muster up some type of energy and encouragement when your number gets called. So when you're out there in practice, you're going hard. You're doing everything you need to do. You're keeping your body in shape. Mentally, you're trying to stay sharp. You're still being lighthearted, you know, when it comes to your workouts and you're trying to figure out, and you're feeling good and then a game comes and, you know, there's no result because you may not get an opportunity. But when that opportunity comes, you want to make the most out of it. And you hear it a lot. But then, you know, sometimes that game is not that first opportunity. It's not that game because there's times that Malachi has been in the game and he didn't look that great, right? He looked like he's forcing things. He looked like he was out of rhythm. But then you do have that breakthrough moment. And he showed time and time again that he's an NBA player. And once again, I tell all young players, when you get out there on the floor, you're not auditioning just for that one team. You're auditioning for the other 29 teams. And those, trust me, those scouts, those GMs, they see you. Other teams, other your peers, they see you. They understand. I can't tell you how many times when I would get put in the game in garbage time and very, very good players would come up to me and say, like, hey man, wait, wait your turn. Your time is coming. Why aren't you playing? You deserve to play. i never forget leaving the Staples Center one time and Shaq, he came up to me and was like, he was like hey, man, your time's going to come. So you have somebody like Shaquille O'Neal come up to you and tell you that you're a good player, then you are you you feel pretty darn good. So Malachi friend, he's he's in that position. He's an NBA player. He's scored in a role where he's not playing as much as he would like to play, but he's ready. And when he gets in there as of late and in the previous times, he's played good basketball. So I'm happy for him that he's still getting an opportunity to show what he can do. And it's going to be critical because you don't know how, much, how many more minutes Fred can log like he's been playing. So he's going to have to be able to be that player to give Fred some breaks when he needs it.
1: Al, two things to that point. Um, one, um, if, if, you're, if you're Malachi and you've kind of had a little breakthrough here, a, a little, yeah, prove it moment, the confidence has got to be sky high and does that make it easier first question is does that make it easier the next time cuz you know fred's going to come back and you're going to go back to the bench like you're going to you know you're going to turn into a pumpkin you're going to go back to the bench and wait your turn again but does it make mm-hmm. it easier the next time when the opportunity comes and and the flip side of that is how do you make sure that you don't try to get it all back and play like spectacular again And don't, as you say, force or because I know you've been in that situation, Al. You just you do your thing, you go back to the bench, and and you know people say garbage time. There is if there's an if it's an NBA game, there is no such thing as garbage time. If you're a guy that doesn't play, if it's you know a minute and a half on the floor, you're in the game. You get a chance to work on something that you might have done in practice. So how does Malachi kind of? keep that in his lane. Keep it tempered, Al, because he's going to want to do it again, and he can't wait for the next chance.
5: Yeah, I mean, continue doing the same thing. You know, you, you go in there, and what I've seen from Alakai, he hasn't come in a game and look tight or whatever. You know, he, he has the ability to score, and sometimes when that's not going, it'll make him look like he's forcing things. It'll make him look like he's playing a bad game. But that's his game. Like he can make shots, he can get to the basket. You know, I, I've heard Nick say in the past, you know, run a team. Right? It's hard. It's hard to run a team in today's style of basketball with a point guard. He's not conducting everything. He's not di- directing traffic all of the time. Like bring, walk the ball down, put people in spots. It's more of a pass, flow, body movement, and making sure you make the right decision. And as long as he makes the right decision and then when he gets the opportunity to be efficient from the field, and then also on that defensive side. The only thing with Malachi right now, defensively, he doesn't fit that mold, right? He doesn't fit that mold that the Raptors have been displaying with the lance and the ability to, to switch different positions. But, you know, Fred doesn't fit that either, but Fred's a dog on the basketball. Like, he's a great defender, man-to-man, one-on-one defender. And Malachi, has to, he has to be that person as well. So continue doing the same thing. Continue doing the same thing, the same approach. And most importantly, you want to just get confidence and trust from the coaching staff. So when it's time to go in, maybe it's game two and you need somebody, you need a spark off the bench. You remember, you remember the the sixty first or the sixty second game when we needed him and he played well. Let's go to him again. He making, you know, make some bones in game three in the first round of the playoffs. So you just never know when other opportunities will come, but continue if he continues to do the same thing and you keep earning and gaining the trust of the coaching staff. He'll be fine. Trust me. And all the coaches, managers, players—they talk. So you just want to continue to create those opportunities. If it isn't in Toronto, it's somewhere else. All you want— to, one team needs you, and one team wants you, and you'll be fine.
0: Speaking with Alvin Williams, Al. We we've talked I guess at various points over the course of the season about uh, you know the the five spot the center position bigs on this team uh, and and whether you need a traditional big or not whether you have a traditional big or not whether you want to play with that you know sort of that that lineup of a bunch of six eight six nine dudes that I know Jonesy loves seeing when when Nick goes to that and the sort of hybrid starters and second unit guys. Is there somebody, whether it's Boucher or Birch or somebody else, is there somebody that you would be leaning on more or looking for more from down the stretch? Let's say you get into a series against Philly or something. Is it is it trying to attack, like, Joel Embiid with Kem Birch because he's your, your tallest, your biggest, or can you afford to go undersized? Like, how do you see this unfolding deeper into the season and hopefully into the postseason?
5: Yeah, no, I I, I rely on my top five guys. You know, not, not, and when I say top five guys, I'm talking about, you know, the ones who've started in the past and, you know, the guy, veteran guys, Pascal, Fred, O.G., Edieman Youngfellow, Barnes, and Gary Trent, so that's four. And then who's going to fit that role? Who's going to fit that? I don't think you go out your way to attack a Joel Embiid. You continue, continue being versatile with your style. I think you're you, you deliberate. You're you have the opportunity to identify mismatches and you attack those mismatches, especially in the playoff time when the game slows down a bit and there's a lot more strategy behind it, a lot more adjustments. And sometimes those adjustments just making sure you do the things that you do well even better. So it's not always rocket science behind it, but I don't think you go out your way and change your team makeup because you're playing against the Sixers with Joel Embiid. The biggest thing with a team with a traditional big. You want to make sure you put them in positions where they're uncomfortable, whether it's them guarding the pick and roll, whether it's them getting isolations, you know, and have to do things on the defensive side or making them see diff- diff- different defensive looks. So, you know, when the Sixers had a traditional big and Marcus Gasol or a big body, maybe not your traditional big, but he was a great defensive player that could, you know, guards well and be one-on-one. And then the lineup became more traditional when you had two bigs with Serge and Mark. So you get your team had different looks. So I think that's the biggest thing. That's what I talk about again, mastering your style. So when it does come down to playoffs or critical games, your style will prevail or you'll get the most out of the style that you intend to play.
1: Oh, one more quick one for me. Um, Nick Nurse has found a little bit of a combination here, as you said, with Malachi and some of the other guys, and it's been successful. How much as a coach, and I, I like, I think as a coach you do this, how much does he kind of look, check the analytics and the stats and whatever, and this group plays well together, and he's seen it with the eye test, he puts that in his pocket for some point in the game when he needs it, just like a press or a trap or something like that?
5: Yeah, I, I think that's something definitely is part of your package, your go-to package, whether it's your shooting lineup, whether it's your best defensive lineup whether it's the end of the game lineup. I think he, at this point of the season, you have a larger enough sample size to lean on analytics, right? Early on, it's hard to put the numbers together and see how effective they are. But at this point, I think you can really do that. But you also can get a feel of the game. I always feel like analytics is you know something that's grown on me. But it's nothing like having a feel. It's nothing like watching a body language. It's nothing like seeing a practice the day before and seeing how somebody's preparing or just that look in somebody's eye. Or if it's just a matchup. You know, I used to I used to have good games against certain players and I sucked against other players. So sometimes you have to look. Like, you know, Al just not this is not the matchup or the lineup for him to play this game. So I think putting all of that in order is very important. But the analytics can come in part now this part of the season because I think there is Once again, enough of a sample size to start putting numbers into play.
0: Al, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, Look forward to seeing you soon. And uh, hopefully, uh, I don't know, continuing to see some Raptor victories here. Another back-to-back tomorrow and Friday against the Pistons and Magic. All the best, Al. Hey, hey, hold on, Jonesy. I sound like I knew what I was talking about on that last last answer, didn't I?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Been there, done that. Got the scars and T-shirts to prove it, man. <laughs> uh, you sound good on the TV
5: too, Jonesy. I didn't, I, I didn't recognize just, the voice the other day, man. I was like,
1: "Oh, that's okay. I got it now." I, I just, I'm just holding Maddie's chair, man. Like you said, you know, I'm like, I'm like Malachi. I know the, I know the real guy's coming back, and I'm gonna turn <laughs> into a pumpkin. So, I just Cinderella dance at the ball until the music stops. <laughs>
0: Sounds good, man. Sounds
1: All good. All right, Al. Thanks for having me, y'all.
0: All right, Al. There's Alvin Williams. Alvin Williams Wednesdays right here on Smith & Jones. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review, download and share as well. Back with more in a moment.
4: Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: back on Smith and Jones Eric Smith Paul Jones with you Raptors getting set for a tilt tomorrow night against uh, is it fair to say their nemesis (laughs) I mean the Pistons have certainly had their number Uh, since Dwayne Casey went to Detroit. So the Raptors hoping to get another one tomorrow, looking for a third straight victory. The back-to-back playing against the Magic as well, and then six straight coming on the road starting on Sunday against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Lots going on around the association as well. We'll dive into a bunch of things in a couple of minutes' time with uh, Brian Windhorst. And then later on in the hour, Shy DeViti, baseball columnist with Sportsnet, will join us in Jonesy. uh, We'll get into it more with Shy, but Major League Baseball... I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know how tone-deaf they are. Like, read the room. Read what's happened in the world right now, let alone what's happened in the world over the last two years. And I can't believe. Maybe I'm naive for saying I can't believe, but I truly can't believe that they did not get a deal done, that they are going to be canceling at least the first two series of the season, and that they didn't figure this out. And... In the midst of everything that's happening, these millionaires and billionaires can't get their blank together.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, there's no secret. It's what caused me to stay away from the ball yard for uh, probably about nine years. Until my kids were old enough. And, Daddy, Daddy, we want to see a baseball game. Because I just... It just bothers me. Like, there's a whole bunch of money out there. Come on, guys, figure it out. Um, think about it. E, when was the last? And it and and it just seems to plague baseball. It used to hit all the sports, and now it seems like it's not ideal in football because there's still no guaranteed contracts in the NFL. Um, but when was the last time we had like real serious labor unrest? In, in in basketball or, well, even the NFL for that matter. Like, I, I don't even remember with hockey. There have been some ups and downs, but have we had any? Like, I'm, I'm honestly glitching. Have we, uh, uh, has there anything, been anything in hockey in the last little while? It's like, oh, we're losing games and there's there's strikes and lockouts in the CBA. Like, I, I don't remember, E, but it just seems like baseball's always jumping up in your face with, here We are again, hey, it's me, labor issues I'm knocking at your door like I, I don't I don't get it, just me. We'll ask shy
0: right it, it it is not just you <laughs> that's that's the problem. it's okay. at the very least you and me, but I think it's a whole lot of other people too and and uh, w- w- again, we'll dive into it more with with shy when he joins us towards the bottom of the hour, but I think what frustrates me a little bit too is most people. I think want to point the finger at baseball and at the owners. And I'm not saying they're wrong by any means. I'm not going to side. I'm not going to side with the billionaires or the, uh, the multi multi hundreds of millions of dollars heirs. But at the same time, when I listened yesterday to Rob Manfred, who I don't really want to like, I'm hearing that. Okay. We made this concession. We made that concession. We made this concession. We've tried to come back on this. We gave the players that it seemed like they did give a whole lot back. Now, you might be missing a lot of the key numbers and a lot of the key points and, and a lot of the key things that the players ultimately want and need and feel that they're they're justified and deserving and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, I think there does have to be a little bit of give and take. And we're only getting one side, and then we heard from the players later, and I started to kind of sway like, oh, yeah, okay, hold on a second. The baseball owners don't seem like they're great guys. Not that I assume they were. Uh, Seems like the owners maybe aren't as correct as I perhaps thought they were. Hmm, maybe the players are right. Well, you know what? If I'm seeing both sides, then how do you guys not see both sides? How do you yeah. not get this thing done? Like how c- the other thing that pisses me off with stuff like this as well, pardon my my tongue. I get annoyed by why did you sit around for 3 months and then do nothing until the 11th hour? Like I know that's how I was as a student. I waited. I said that to JB, to Jeff Blair yesterday. I waited until the last minute for everything. Heck, even sometimes with this show, Lance is yelling at us, guys, where are you? And we're logging in 60 seconds before the show because I'm last-minute Larry with a lot of stuff. But when it comes to this... When it comes to something that impacts so many people beyond just your players and your coaches and people that work in the organizations, but the ancillary people like the ticket takers and the security staff and the concessions folks and the businesses in the area and everything else that is impacted by baseball, how you have the nerve to sit on your hands for months doing nothing, and I'm talking to both sides here, doing nothing to then finally at the 11th hour decide – Okay, let's start talking. Like, why even have a deadline then? Why even bother having the deadline? If you know you're not going to do anything until right at the last minute, what's the point?
1: Yeah, what's the I, point? No, you're, you, are, you are a million, well, maybe I should say a billion percent right, E, a billion. But what do we know?
0: <laughs> Probably nothing, or at least very little at least very little
1: you can take out the probably brother nothing
0: (laughs) (laughs) nothing yes okay fine yes that's true i don't know if my wife's listening but don't tell her i know nothing um all right let's shift our attention back to a sport that's actually playing and seems to have its labor issues resolved for now and hope we don't have to eat our words in future years when it comes to the nba uh joining us from espn uh we always love chatting with brian windhorse brian thanks for the time today good morning Hey Brian, just, just just as a quick little aside, I don't want to go too far down this path. How much do you, whether it be as a as a sports fan in general, or just as as one of the best covering the NBA, how much do you think leagues like the NBA, whether it be NFL, NHL as well, watch what the other leagues are doing either with a cheshire cat grin or with a keen eye in terms of what they're doing with their labor situation and how they're handling things with their fans, their teams, their CBAs, all that stuff. How much do you think other leagues are sitting back and watching what baseball's doing?
4: No, I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think anybody's going to take joy in it. Um I think the NBA has its own struggles right now in terms of market share. Uh, in terms of ratings those challenges exist and um, I think what you're looking for look, league the league is best practices but I wouldn't say that this is best, best practices what's going on now look I don't know anything about baseball but I will say that what's happening right now I think has been several years in the making and whatever agreement that they got together coming out of the pandemic if I'm not mistaken the stage was set for this and so what I would say is, if you're a, if you're a league like the NBA, is when you have a labor problem that you can see on the horizon, even if it's 18 months away, don't let it get down to the wire like this, which is what baseball has done. I mean, I remember reading smart people telling me the agreement out of the pandemic guaranteed a lockout in 2022, and that's exactly what's happened.
1: Wow. Well. well. Like Eric said, Brian, hopefully we don't have to deal with that in in terms of uh, the NBA anytime soon. They've been touchwood pretty good recently about splitting up the pie, even though they might fight over who eats how much. Brian, I I, I want to look at where we are in the season now. We're 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 in the home stretch. We're we're getting down to uh, you know looking at stuff for seeding, and a, a couple things come to mind. The Raptors have just played the Nets back to back and beaten them. Twice, once badly and and by a point last night. How does Las Vegas still have this Brooklyn team as one of the potential NBA champions when right now that car is definitely up on blocks and and looking for repair?
4: I know it's crazy, Paul, the the way they've sat there the whole year, especially as you look at... I mean, I, I just can't believe people aren't looking at the heat. I mean, in terms of just wagering standpoint... Looking at the Heat, I mean, the Heat have have won, I think, 10 out of 11 games. They have a stretch coming up where they have 11 out of 12 or 11, 10 out of 11 at home. So I'm expecting them to widen their lead. And in the next 10, 15 days, they're going to add Victor Oladipo. And I'm not saying Oladipo is going to be an all-star again, but that's a heck of an add to your roster in March, and nobody talks about them. Um, but, you know, the thing is, I will say this, when you have Kevin Durant, um, when you have Kevin Durant, you know, it really opens up a lot of things. Calling them the favorite is kind of tough. And they were dealt a pretty big blow this week when it became uh, known that there wasn't going to be an immediate uh, a relief in the vaccine mandate. You know, I was with the Nets a couple of days ago, Saturday night in uh, my Milwaukee. They won that game. Giannis got shut down the fourth quarter. Um, and they were borderline euphoric that night. They had lost. 13 out of their previous 15 games, but Durant was expected back in the next few days. And it looked like Kyrie was going to get mandate relief from the New York city government. Well, subsequently Ben Simmons has pulled back on his recovery or his uh, build-up because of a back issue and the changes that they made to the law in New York, or at least the proposed changes are not going to um, give relief to Kyrie. And so, Two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward, two steps back, however you want to say it. And even even on Saturday, Nash knew. Like the reason that, you know, Steve Nash even said, and this is before he had his own health and safety protocol challenge, he was like, look, we really needed this game because we know we're not getting Kyrie in either of the games against the Raptors. Um, and the, here's the thing they only have eight road games left. They have a home heavy schedule coming in. Now, normally you would say, great, home heavy. But not great because they're a worse home team than they are a road team because no Kyrie.
0: So Brian, are they running out of runway?
4: I mean, I would say that would you have Kevin Durant if he's healthy? You, he's a natural extender of runway. But if you think, depending on how the bracket falls, if they're a team that has that doesn't have reps together, in other words, you know when Simmons can play or whatever, and then they might have to have a situation where. Even if they don't have to do a play-in, they might have to beat Philadelphia, Miami, and Chicago, depending on how it falls. Or even if they only have to beat two of the three, for a team that has no reps together, and I didn't even talk about Milwaukee. My God, they're going to have to probably beat three of those four, Milwaukee, Chicago, Philly, Miami. You're going to have to win 12 games against those teams with no reps. you're asking, it's a really tall task.
0: We might have lost Jonesy. Brian, we'll get him back into the mix in a second here as we're talking to Brian Windhorst from ESPN. Brian, let let, let me stay in the Eastern Conference then. We were talking earlier in the show, understandably being in Toronto here, about what the Raptors may or may not be able to do. They're starting to put a little bit of separation you know, in terms of uh, at least a couple of teams that are below the line there. Charlotte, Atlanta, now five back of the Raptors in that seventh seed. But you've got to leapfrog at least one if not two to try and put yourself into that mix in the top six. It looks like maybe, maybe Brian Cleveland could be a team that slips a little bit. Is Boston going to slow down enough? Like if you're Toronto, do you have a shot to be in that top six?
4: Well, I really liked where the Raptors were about two, three weeks ago or so I'd have to remember exactly, but I'm really concerned right now about Van Vliet's knee. And, um, you know, he's, because he's, He's taken some games off, and he's come back. And, then, you know, this is like maybe the third time now, if I'm not mistaken. He's had to go shut down. And as big as the All-Star game was for him, and I know it was really important, I was I was there in the hotel when his family, he and his family, arrived. And it was this, all these people um, and all this luggage, um, you know, to see him to celebrate that weekend. And only played nine minutes in the game. And He only played nine minutes not because – he didn't, hadn't earned it, but he only played nine minutes, I think, because he was having his knee protected. And so I'm just worried about that. And so, like, you know, you see a game that, like, Barnes played last night, and you get very excited. I mean, I get very excited about him anyway just because I know that he's still so raw, and I think about what he can be. I get excited. And I know Siakam's been in a little bit of a slump, but, you know, obviously he's been terrific. Uh, this is a bounce-back season. But if you don't have your lead guard healthy and kicking – you got problems, and that's what you know. The Cavs are running into right now. They are. They've lost the other night to Minnesota. They had five guards from their you know opening day roster. Well, I guess not opening day because they had traded for Levert, but they're down to like their fifth string guard. They they started a two way guy, and his backup was a ten day guy at point guard. So like, if you don't have your front line point guard, you are going to be less than in the NBA. So. To me, analyze the seeds, analyze various guys. If Red Van Vliet is not healthy and clicking on all-star cylinders, I mean, or, I, I don't think they've, they've got much upside this season. Uh,
1: um, Brian, um, I, I wanted to go back to the, the, the Brooklyn-Philadelphia trade, but, but you said something about Scotty Barnes and him being so raw. Um, where do you put him? I know Evan Mobley is kind of the consensus favorite right now. Probably because Cleveland is ahead of Toronto in the standings and um, with all due respect to our brothers in the American media, unlike people like Brian Windhorse, who actually watch games and and pay attention to everything. Is Scotty kind of flying under the radar? Is is he going to get traction when it comes to rookie of the year? He should certainly be first team all rookie. But uh, what's the race? What's the race like between he and Mobley?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it's tight, especially if the Cavs fall off a little bit. You know, Cade Cunningham is coming on. He had a big-time highlight dunk last night. Cade really wants to win it. I talked to him at All-Star Weekend. He's, he's, he's got the pedal down. I don't know. His team is is so weak. We'll have to see. Um, you know, when I look at Mobley and Barnes, I, I'm, I'm in awe for two different reasons. For Mobley, I'm in awe of how refined his game is for being 19 or 20. I don't know when his birthday is, but you know, being first year in the league, how refined his game is and I know that he is going to physically get bigger and stronger. That's what blows me away. When I watch Barnes, I'm I'm blown away by how unrefined his game is in that in that his natural talent and natural abilities and his strength and everything. Like he he just he has incredible instincts defensively. He hasn't been like when he learns how to how to do it all, like I'm, I'm just like boy, he is going to be a beast. Mobley, I think, is going to be more of a surgeon. Um, Barnes, I think, is going to be a beast. And I'm, I just watch him play out there, and there are just times when I know like he's just still a little bit lost, but he still gets things done because he's just so good. I mean, just. Um, I'm, you know, I'm as excited about Mobley and Barnes, you know, as you can be excited about a rookie. I mean, I guess maybe not in comparison to Luca, but you know, I, I, you know, I hear Luca just turned 23. I feel like when he came to the NBA, he was 25. I don't believe he's 23. <laughs> when I, you know, I, like Luca sort of arrived fully formed. Um, you know, Barnes and Mobley, I just get so excited about where they're going to be. And my God, in year three of Barnes and Mobley, whew, I mean, we're talking about big time stuff. So I know that doesn't necessarily get you excited about today. And like in Cleveland, you know, I was talking to them on the radio yesterday and they're really worried about sliding back into the play-in. And I'm like, listen, man, don't even worry because you got Mobley. That's that's what I'd say about the Raptors. Like I'm worried in 2022, March, April about Fred Van Vliet's knee. Uh, I love where the Raptors are going because they have, they have, um, Good coaching, good management, and a really good young player. So just try to enjoy it.
0: Speaking with Brian Windhorse, ESPN NBA insider. All right, Brian, uh, I'm sure you've probably done a hit in Philadelphia at some point in the last couple of days, couple of hours potentially even. What are you saying to the folks in Philly in terms of the early returns on Harden and Embiid and what this team might be able to do, not just in March, April, but for their sake yeah. in hopefully May, June?
4: Well the two things that have stuck out and they get to play the Knicks tonight and you know they should sump them again. They've had a they've had a nice little portion of schedule here where they're starting these guys off. Two things that have stood out. Number one, the way Harden is able to deliver the ball to Embiid, Embiid is getting the ball on the move in space because you just can't leave Harden. And when they when they play a two man game together um, he's just got more room, and he's he's moving when he catches the ball, and he's just ping ponging off guys, and they're fouling him. He's got 40 free throws in the first two games. I mean, obviously that's a rate that's not going to continue, but like it's opening up a whole new window to something that was already strong in Joel's game. The second thing is because of the floor spacing, um, Maxi is starting to kill, and so what's happening, you know, and I'll see how teams adjust, but. Maxie is getting the ball in space too, and guys are running out to him, and he and he's just putting the ball on the floor. And he's so fast, you give him more lane, especially if Embiid is out of that, out of the way there. Like he's just killing. So those are two things I didn't quite see. So that's two things about Philly that I think you got to get excited about. But they start on Friday, a four game run. And when we talk uh, like a week from tomorrow, we're going to know a lot more about how good this Philly team is. So Friday, they host the Cavs. The Cavs are limping right now. The Garland, I think, is going to be back tonight, maybe by Friday. So they should have a more representative team. Then they go down to Miami on Saturday night. That's a back-to-back, three-hour flight down to Miami Saturday night. That's a brutal back-to-back. Then Monday, third game in four days, they play the Bulls. Obviously, a team ahead of them and a, a probable playoff opponent. And then next Thursday, the game people were circling, although you can take a circle off because Ben ain't going to play, is the game in Philly. But they, uh, Brooklyn will ha- be in Philly, uh, and that means they will have Kyrie and Durant is likely to be back for that game. So those four games in that tight of a span against four teams that are legit contenders in the Eastern Conference against them, Let's see how they manage those four games. They slap those teams around, we're going to really be having a conversation.
1: Well, Brian, you know, for me, I wanted to, you you talked about Harden and how he suddenly had this rejuvenation um, picking up with with Philly. Uh, How much of that is being with Daryl Morey, a guy who really believes in him? Um, With Doc Rivers, a coach who a championship coach like this James Harden like he's he's chasing the finish line he's chasing the ring he knew he wasn't going to get it in Houston he thought he was going to get it in Brooklyn now he's gone to Philly and he probably thinks he's going to get it there how much has that just motivated him cuz you talk about his play all of a sudden you know people were making jokes about oh he's injured he's going to get traded and be you know be at 100% and here he is killing it right now after the trade
4: Well Jonesy I think it's because he had kind of shut it down in the last couple of weeks trying to get traded. So that was part of it. But I think, you know, in fairness, the you know, Harden was playing really well last year after he got traded. Um, the Nets had the number, even though uh, Durant missed a bunch of time with his own hamstring injury. If you remember last year, he missed like the whole spring. The Nets had the number one offense of all time in terms of efficiency last year because Harden was great, and he was out there mostly with just Irving for a lot of it. Um, And then Kyrie got hurt in the playoffs and what have you. But Harden suffered that hamstring injury last spring, or I guess maybe it was last summer, uh, right at the end of the regular season, and then he re-aggravated in the playoffs. He has not yet gotten back to the player he was, in my view, um, when he came over from Houston, the player that he was during uh, most of last year, he had a good first two months of this season. And then that's were winning a lot of games. That's why I think they've lost 14 out of 17. That's why they're still, um, you know, over 500 because they actually did win a lot of games in November and December and Harden was playing well, but he hasn't been back to that, you know, first team, second team, all NBA level. So, Yeah, he looks better than his last days as a net when he was shutting it down. But I'm looking for the first days as a net type Harden. And that's what I'll really judge as we get into, uh, you know, towards the playoffs.
0: Hey, Brian, one last one for me here. We always appreciate your time talking to Brian Windhorst from ESPN. Um, Over the course of the season, uh, I'm sure we've even talked to you about this, the the, the race for the MVP, I suppose, the battle for the MVP – where do you see John Morant fitting into things now and into that conversation?
4: Yeah, it's a fair question, Eric. I, um, You know, Tim Bontemps from our staff, he does these straw polls, and they're really valuable because he talks to 100 likely voters, not 10, not 15 people who are not going to vote. He talks to people in every market and oversees the actual representation of who the voters are. So when he puts out one of those polls, it is very accurate to where the voters feel. Now, he did one in November, and Steph was the runaway winner. Guess what? Steph has been in one of the worst three-month shooting slumps of his career. Steph is no longer in the top five. Maybe he's fourth or fifth. No longer in the top three. The poll that came out just before All-Star weekend, Ja was not in the top four. So I would say to you, based on that, especially since Embiid is still playing great, there's a lot to climb there. But, you, you. there's no way you can watch Ja and not be incredibly impressed and think that his future is to do that. And, like, are the voters possibly maybe a slight little bit behind? It's possible. I mean, I had DeMar DeRozan fourth on the ballot that I submitted for that, and people would say to me that you're crazy for having DeMar DeRozan fourth. I had Chris Paul fifth because I thought, you know, that, you know when I voted – uh, Chris Paul had not he had played in every single game, and the, uh, the Suns were 48-10, and 10, you know, and he was killing it in the clutch. So, you know, the, 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 the season ebbs and flows and changes a little bit. Um, I think John's a candidate, but right now, based on that information, I think it would be hard for him to win.
1: Brian, last one for me. Um, Memphis in general, they're on the come up. Are they going to A? Disappoint people come playoff time, uh, hurt people's feelings, other teams, or <laughs> be going to bow out with a lack of experience and be disappointed themselves?
4: Well, the interesting thing is, you know, uh, Golden State is in a slump. They've lost, um, I think they're 5-6 and six since February 1st and um, they are now only like a game up or a half game up on Memphis for the second seed. So Memphis might win their way into the second seed, which would be very interesting in terms of their their situation if they could have home court the first two rounds, okay? Um, but what I will say about Memphis is this. They play a very high-tempo, high-speed game, and that makes them awesome to watch. But history tells us in the playoffs, no matter who you are, whether you're the seven seconds for less sons or whomever, the game slows down. It's yeah. slowed down for 70 years. It's going to slow down again. And so do the Grizzlies have the chops in the half court? I mean, there's going to be games where they're going to be awesome and they'll blow the other team out. But when it's 2-2 two, two game five and it's fourth quarter and it's a, it's a three-point game, can you get baskets in the half court when the other team knows exactly what you're running. That's where teams go from being really fun, maybe get out of the first-round teams. The teams that win it, the teams that are standing there in the, in the final four, which this is what you're basically asking, can get those situations. And so maybe Memphis can, but that's not how they're built, and they've not done it before. So I will go in with open arms to welcome them, but they've got, they're going to have to learn to play, and usually it takes some learning, Jonesy, as you know.
0: Yeah. Brian, right. we appreciate the time, as always. Uh, thanks for joining us and look forward to speaking again soon. Take care. Thanks, Brian. There's Brian Windhorse, ESPN insider, and you can uh, check out his podcast as well, Brian and Windhorse and the Hoop Collective. Uh, always love having Brian on the air.